I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. Paul writes this, We also thank God constantly for this. When you accepted God's word that you heard from us, you welcomed it for what it truly is. Instead of accepting it as a human message, you accepted it as God's message, and it continues to work in you who are believers. Brothers and sisters, you became imitators of the churches of God in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. This was because you also suffered the same things from your own people as they did from the Jews. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They don't please God and they are hostile to the entire human race. When they try to stop us from speaking to the Gentiles so they can be saved. Their sins are constantly pushing the limit. God's wrath has caught up with them in the end. Brothers and sisters, while we were separated from you for a while physically, but not in our hearts, we made every effort in our desire to see you again face to face. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, tried over and over again, and Satan stopped us. What is our hope, joy, or crown that we can brag about in front of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Isn't it all of you? You are our glory and joy. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated. Before we begin this morning, just a reminder, we're still roofing. Uh, Keep your eyes open and I'll let you know when the sanctuary is affected. Thankfully not this weekend because it's supposed to be hot today or it's already getting hot. But we'll just play it by ear and figure things out. Um, I'd like to begin this morning by inviting you to, to take a moment and think about a time that you've been on a journey, whether it was on a hike or a walk or something else. You know, this picture is someone's hiking along a mountaintop crest. Uh, maybe you were in the mountains. Maybe you were walking along the beach. Um, <clears throat> I tried to look up hiking on the beach photos, and you can imagine what were church appropriate and what weren't. So here we are. <laughs> Maybe your hike or your journey that you're thinking about is also, it could be something that you've done. It doesn't have to be in the mountains. It doesn't have to be in the beach. Maybe it was walking through the uneven uneven streets of a city like Rome or another place. Or maybe it's just walking the very even walkways of the local mall. I just want you to to invite you to think about it. And I want you to think about the journey and about how you had to make the choice to start the journey and how you had to pursue it step by step in order for its completion. As I spent time this last week thinking about this passage of Scripture and about Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, I was reminded that the Christian life is often compared to a journey. And when you think about the Christian life, it's not always smooth because there are certainly ups and downs. The Christian life is not always unobstructed. The Christian life is not without complications. At times, there are barriers or obstacles in our way. And so even emotionally, the Christian life is not smooth sailing, is it? Because just like our emotions, the emotional side of the Christian life, it has up and downs as well. As we experience different things and as we react to different things, as we encounter different things and as we uh, deal with it, we go up and down. And without God's grace and with God's grace, we're able to do it. With the Holy Spirit, we're able to do it. 
But when I think about the journey and when I think about the ups and downs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'm reminded that you and I are imperfect people who need God and who need forgiveness and who need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we are all imperfect people as Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica as he realizes and he's communicating to them that they are imperfect people just like he is and they need the transformation and the forgiveness that comes from God through the Holy Spirit as we all do. And so as we think about what it means to be on a journey, all of us know what it's like to be on a journey. And I'm sure that each of us to some degree can look at our own Christian life and see how it is reminiscent or how it reflects the idea of a journey. There are certainly times where things seem to be coming together, where the plane is level and you know, you're just going along and doing things like you need to be doing them. There are certainly times where things seem to be moving downward, and there are certainly times where things are constantly viewing up, moving upwardly, aren't they? I think what it does is remind us that the Christian life has ups, it has downs, and at times it's level. And I like this quote that I found, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a journey of 10 million steps. But that goes with the whole metaphor that Paul writes about, about uh, the marathon, right? And about how the Christian life is not something that happens quickly, but it's something that we apply ourselves to, we train for, we prepare for. And so when it comes to Paul's experience of the Christian life, that's why he uses this imagery, not just in one letter, but in more than one, where, where he's comparing this life that we live as Christians to a race and, and our preparation. And Paul bases his experience, or his, his letters off his own experience. So it's not like he's just sitting in a room and going, here's what it takes to be a Christian. But he's thinking about himself and he's saying, well, where have I experienced challenges? Where have I experienced persecution? Where have I experienced opposition? In the Thessalonian letter, Paul has just been to Philippi before going to Thessalonica. And, and in Philippi, you know, they're imprisoned and they're beaten and they're hurt and they're driven out of town. And, and so Paul's looking back and he's able to write to the Thessalonians and say, before I came to you, I experienced this. And so he's able to look at the different steps in his own journey and look at the, st the, the steps in the journey of those that he is able to witness. And he is able to articulate to us and to them that the Christian life is more than just a conversion. It's more than just accepting or, or making the decision to, to accept the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's more than us just making that commitment. But what Paul is trying to say and trying to articulate to us is that the Christian life is a daily thing, it is an hourly thing, and that each day you and I actively make the choice of how we live our lives and how we're going to respond to the work of God's grace in our life. And so in our letter today, as we're reading from Thessalonians in his letters, Paul's writing to a Christian community that's brand new. They've heard his preaching. They've decided to follow Jesus. They're new Christians. And as new Christians, we have to look at them and think about that they have not had the opportunity to, to have someone there to model faith or to teach them for long. 
Some commentaries or some uh, biblical scholars believe that Paul's time in Thessalonica was about three weeks or maybe a little longer. So these are people that are making the choice to follow Jesus. They're making the daily choice to be, to be a part of the Christian community and they're not having the benefit then of having someone week after week or day after day to be around them and to say, here's what it means to be a follower of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ. They've not had the benefit of it being able to question and to listen and to hear and to see and to watch. And so they've learned of Jesus They've learned of the resurrection. They've learned of God's forgiveness. They've decided to follow, but what they haven't had the opportunity to do is hear Paul expand on what it means to live a life in response to Jesus Christ. So they've gotten the essentials, but they haven't had the time to, to think it through, to question it, to talk about it. And so in today's scripture, Paul is responding to some questions that he's obviously received, to, to some news that he's received from the Thessalonians, either through, through letters that he's received, or we also know that he sent Timothy to Thessalonica, and then Timothy returned to Athens and brought a report of the church. And so while we read Paul's letters, what I'm always reminded is that in a sense, it's incomplete. We don't necessarily know the exact questions that were asked of him, but what we can do is we can read his responses, and we can make assumptions or infer, or we can um, think about what his response is and think, well, this is likely what he was being asked. And so in our scripture this morning, Paul's obviously heard something about the Thessalonian Christians experiencing some sort of persecution or struggle. Friends, I think what they've learned is they've begun to learn that the Christian faith is not all sunshine and roses once they became a follower of Jesus Christ. I think they've begun to realize that the path that being a Christian is on is not one that's just level and smooth without obstructions and without barriers. I think what they've begun to learn is that the Christian faith is very much like a journey. And it's not just, just a list of, of set points, like if you're to go through the bulletin and just check things off, you know. It's not just a checklist. What the Thessalonians have begun to experience is persecution, it's challenges, and really most of those are coming from others or in their community. Now here's where I appreciate Paul in this letter. Because he doesn't admonish or discourage the Thessalonians, does he? He doesn't tell them that, that there's their uh, discouragement or their questions are, are evidence of their lack of faith. Rather, he uses this opportunity to encourage them. And his encouragement was to tell them that their struggles can be evidence of the faith and of their growth in, in Jesus Christ. See, I think they were looking at their struggles. They were looking at the challenges that they were facing, maybe the opposition that was before them, and they were viewing those things as a negative. They saw them as, as ways in which their faith or, or maybe their progress in faith is, is being pushed back or pulled back or, or it's just not happening. But Paul reframes that idea by presenting to them the idea 
that having struggles in Christian faith can be a positive. Because basically he's saying the reason they're experiencing these exact struggles is nothing else has changed. Most of the, I mean, they're still in their same jobs. They're still living in their same house. They're still in their same community. Nothing has changed except for the fact that they've chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that has meant them withdrawing from whatever type of, of prior worship they engaged in. And so Paul wants them to see that this is a positive. That they're facing struggles because they are living effectively as disciples of Jesus Christ. They're responding to the grace of God. They're answering Jesus' call. And because they're doing both of those things, others are noticing and they're placing um, struggles and obstacles in their path. So there's a couple parts of this scripture that are kind of troublesome. And if you read some biblical commentaries, they say most people just skip over it. And obviously I didn't read that before planning this sermon series. So there's a couple parts of this scripture that we've read this morning that are troublesome. And there's part of it that really makes sense. Boy, the first is that if we're following Jesus Christ and living according to who God wants us to be, then others are going to encounter Jesus in our lives. They're going to see the change that's happened. They're going to see what, or wonder what makes us live differently. They're going to encounter Jesus through the ways that we worship and pray and make choices and treat others and act and talk. And for some, this change in encounter is a positive. For others, like the Thessalonians, it may be more of a negative as they look on the outside. And so one part of the problem in this scripture is that Paul specifically states that the Thessalonian Christians are experiencing the same persecution that the Judean Christians experienced in Jerusalem. Boy, that part makes sense. But then he also says that they've experienced the same persecution from the Jews. All right, so I have to be clear about this. This isn't Paul slandering Jews that are of the Jewish faith. What Paul is saying is that to the Thessalonian Christians who are Gentiles, you're experiencing the same thing that happened to those who were Jewish before the Judean Christians in Jerusalem. He could have said how the Thessalonians were Gentile Christians experiencing persecution from the Gentiles. It'd be the same thing. There's another potentially uh, troublesome or problematic interpretation from this scripture. And the way that this scripture can be used to get something over someone else. It could be a disagreement in the church or a situation or something else. It could also be used in times of abuse to justify what is happening to someone. And that's the part where Paul says, your struggles are evidence of your faith. Right, so Paul isn't speaking of that, is he? That's not Paul. And so an interpretation that tries to say, or justify an abuse or, or just something that's over the top is just flat wrong. What Paul's trying to get us to see and the Thessalonians to see is that there are times and there are struggles when there is evidence of growth in our faith that you and I may face challenges. They're spiritual challenges. They might be relational challenges. And what he's saying to the Thessalonians is those challenges are probably caused because of evidence in your faith and the way that you have grown in God and in Jesus Christ. 
especially when someone is choosing to act differently, to socialize differently, or to make choices that honor God and His presence in their lives rather than the choices that they used to be making. Are we good? In the second half of our reading this morning, Paul tells the Thessalonians how he made every effort to return to them in, their, in the church. He tried again and again, but he says at every turn, quote, Satan had hindered them. And so I was reading this scripture, and in the Greek, the word hinder is a military term. And in a military term, what Paul is saying in the Greek, it means is that a military would, um, uh, in a conflict, would tear up roads or topple bridges and fall trees to make the forward progress of the enemy slowed or hindered. So it may not have stopped the enemy completely, but it slowed the enemy and didn't allow them to move as efficiently and as fast. Why is Paul using that phrase when it comes to Satan hindering us? I think there's a couple of things. First, what Paul is doing is he's acknowledging the spiritual battle of good and evil that does happen in this world. He is acknowledging the work of Satan in our lives and the power of Satan to hinder or slow us in our walk with Jesus. But here's the work of God, friends. He doesn't say stop. He doesn't say cease. He doesn't say end. What Paul is saying is that to the Thessalonians and to us, that when things are good and going good and Jesus is at work in our lives, quite honestly, there are things or barriers or obstacles that are put before us that we may have no explanation except for something is going on in a spiritual way in our lives. And it causes us to get tripped up. It doesn't stop us, but what it can do is it can discourage us enough to where we choose not to press on, right? See, Paul isn't telling the Thessalonians that, that the work of what was done, it, he said hindered. So by saying hindered, what does he have a plan to do? He has every plan and every intent to get to Thessalonica, doesn't he? This isn't him saying that we've been held up. This isn't him saying that, that we've been stopped completely. What he's saying is that our attempts were sidetracked due to different things that happened, due to different occurrences that were going on. And they kept us from getting where we needed to get. And of course we know later, well now I don't remember if Paul ever made it back to Thessalonica. I'll have to go look it up. Okay, sorry. Um, but we know that, that it was not in his plan. He wasn't going to allow it to happen, that he was stopped. And so what can we learn from that? Friends, sometimes there are times and things that happen in our lives that just keep us from sharing the gospel with others. There are barriers that put up that, that help us from, from, keep us from helping others or from teaching or from studying or from serving or from doing whatever it is that God is calling us to do. But those barriers are only for a short time until you and I claim them and set them aside in the name of Jesus so that we can be included in those who Paul lists as his glory and as his joy. 
Last night as I was working on the slides and thinking about the sermon and, and just kind of going over it, for those of you that have read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, it's basically a demon riding a lower demon, and it's Screwtape riding Wormwood. And so Screwtape is riding this, this apprentice demon in what he can do to trip up the Christians. Friends, I fully believe C.S. Lewis was reading this passage of Scripture in one part where he says it doesn't have to be significant things that get the Christians set off from what they're doing. It has to be a fleeting thought when they're sitting down to working on something. It has to be an errant idea or an interruption when they're sitting down to pray or to read Scripture. Basically, what it is, it's those things that keep us from focusing that keep us from truly pursuing and truly doing the things that we can look at then and see how we are God's glory and joy through what we do, through what we, how we live, and through how we choose to pursue the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's our question as we read this scripture today. Is what am I doing to be the, uh, the glory and joy of God in this world? What am I doing to be the glory of God in my family? And what do I do to bring the glory and joy of God into my life? Amen.